Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Your dream setup, amazing prices, and free shipping await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com slash deals. That's Alienware.com slash deals. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide hey sarah i love that spring break vlog you posted on zigazoo omg you watched it yeah it was so cool I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, all mission control decant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. You know, I was thinking in our previous episode, our two-part episode on Davos and the World Economic Forum, the whole time I was listening back, because uh, we listen back to every episode to make sure that we <laughs> that we uh, said what we meant to say. I was thinking we missed that opportunity to talk about something that we usually mention, which is that money as a concept is pretty tricky. When you talk about inequality, you talk about the value of something, you get into some murky, surprisingly philosophical territory really quickly. Like there's no real way to differentiate between economic ideology or religious ideology. We have had, for how many years now? For a while now, we've had like a standing call for someone to tell us what makes those two things different. Uh, do you guys remember that? Do, has anybody written into us to give us a good difference yet? No. We've always said they're so, we're, we're, yeah, it's just, they're so similar. So when we talk about 
currency, I think one thing that's interesting in our earlier episode on cashless societies and what that might mean, we all noted that we had been using cashless forms of payment more and more often. And I was interested in you all's experience. Did you find that increasingly the case during the pandemic? Oh, sure. I mean, it it makes me think back to an episode, Ben, you and I recorded recently on our other show, Ridiculous History, about uh, leper colonies and uh, leprosy currency, the idea that uh, that cash could be transmitting disease. And I think there were a lot of businesses that weren't even accepting cash at all during the pandemic, uh, let alone people being stoked about, you know, uh, interchanging bills with others who, who, who they don't know if they're carriers of, uh, of the virus or not. So absolutely. And it seems like that uh, is certainly um, to blame or to credit for the massive spike in, say, Amazon sales and stock price and Jeff Bezos, you know, pocket money uh, and other, you know, companies like that, delivery services, food delivery. I mean, it was all cashless. Yeah, 100%. And as we talked about in that episode and, and in other episodes of Stuff They I Want You to Know, Physical money, especially the bills, the folding money, as they called it back in the day, is filthy. It's got traces of cocaine on it. Some like 40% of U.S. bills have traces of feces on them. It's just not, it's not clean stuff, uh, but it does represent this idea of value. And in a way, that's what today's episode is really about. It's about something you may have heard of recently in the news, or you may have heard of as early as 2018, called an NFT. What is an NFT? Well, to tell you, we have to do a quick recap of what cryptocurrency is first. So here are the facts. And if you're like me, your head is going to be banging against a wall for much of this episode. Just but is it a is it a physical wall, Matt? <laughs> or is it like a blockchain of your head hitting mm-hmm. a blockchain idea of a wall? Is no, it a wall coin? No matter what it is, my neck and head are thrusting forward vigorously and multiple times until until I either understand or cease to uh, to be awake for a while. Sorry, let's get into cryptocurrency. Tough to understand a little bit, but it's also, it, Ben, you've done a great job breaking it down in this episode. So let's just talk about it. A cryptocurrency is a digital currency that can be used to buy anything, any kind of service, any kind of good. Uh, it's just a little different. It uses this thing, an online ledger. It uses cryptography to protect that ledger and to protect transactions and to keep a, a chain, essentially, of all of the interactions that that particular piece of currency has gone through. Now, just for the record, it, it, in, its, in its form, a cryptocurrency can't be used to buy anything. It has to be converted back to USD. Um, there are some vendors that will accept cryptocurrency. Like I think Tesla is talking about accepting cryptocurrency for transactions uh, and things like that. And they're even starting to be crypto uh, ATM machines at like gas stations and stuff. It's just starting to be mainstreamed in an interesting way. And it's, starting to be mainstreamed in, in, in a conversational way in terms of like, you know, uh, people from the Fed are talking about it and they're not crazy about it. <laughs> no, no, that's a good point. They're not uh, because, you know, you'll also see reports of some businesses who have maybe tried to accept stuff in cryptocurrency, but then due primarily to concerns about taxation, they had to like roll that back. Uh, these are unregulated currencies. So for a lot of people, this is a 
uh, an opportunity amid financial chaos. You'll hear about a lot of people who purchased some Bitcoin or some Dogecoin or whatever you want. Let's The general name would be like altcoin, altcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've purchased something like this, and they're not going to Tesla. They're not planning to go to Pizza Future or whatever pizza company we're going to make up for this episode. Uh, instead, they're buying it. They're holding it. They're going diamond hand. Uh, they're hoping that because there's uh, a lack of regulation here and because the value is, is um, vulnerable, to speculation that the stuff they paid like, you know, $10 for will be worth $100 at some point, and then they'll sell it then. Uh, it's, it's investing. You know what I mean? It's it's an old game, and it's made uh, several people quite wealthy, particularly people who invested in Bitcoin earlier, which I'm still kicking myself about. Totally. I mean, uh, super producer Casey Pegram of Ridiculous History uh, always laments about how he had a couple of full Bitcoins. When we say a Bitcoin, we're today talking about a fraction of a Bitcoin uh, because the value of a Bitcoin, I believe now is almost $60,000 for one. So when you're, you know, people like you or I uh, are investing in Bitcoin, we're buying 0.002 Bitcoins or whatever. Um, But then you have some of these altcoins where the value of one, it might just be a handful of dollars or a couple hundred dollars. And that's the thing. There are literally hundreds of these different different altcoins, like you said, Ben, and they all have kooky names and are tied to different things, like things like Polkadot is one, or like Cashmere. They're, they're almost like a joke, uh, how many of them there are. Um, but you're, you're right, Ben. It is a speculative, highly, wildly speculative world where people are making and, 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 uh, and losing pro- uh, fortunes even based on trying to ride the wave or like make bets. But I think the smart move uh, and hopefully what many folks are doing is just try to hold on to what you have and, and see what happens especially with the main ones like Ethereum and Bitcoin. Yeah, casino rules hold for any kind of gambling. Don't walk in there with more than you can afford to lose. Consider it goodbye money, right? Uh, We've done episodes touch on numerous aspects of this in the past. Please do check those out. We'll probably uh, name drop a few on the way. Uh, We also want to recommend some work by our complaint department, Jonathan Strickland, over on his show, Tech Stuff. Uh, he has some great primers on the basics of cryptocurrency, the origin of Bitcoin, and so on. Uh, but for a real quick refresher, for this, before we get into the very strange story, maybe we can talk about pros and cons of, of cryptocurrency in general, right? Uh, Bitcoin is a kind of cryptocurrency. It's the one that most people would recognize today. First, it's transparent. Wait, how can it be transparent, you're saying? I thought people could be anonymous. They can, but the transactions of every Bitcoin itself or every piece of cryptocurrency, they're all stored on this open ledger called a blockchain. And that means that information about those transactions is pretty much available to anyone at any time. And if you have problems with the uh, purposeful vagueness of aspects of the banking system, then that's like, that's a really good thing. It's like you can play, now you're playing that, um, oh, what's that street side scam where you got the three cups and you got the ball or something. Shell game? Yeah, three card yes, shell game, shell game. That's the one. Now you're playing a shell game with transparent cups, kind of. That's so right. there's, there's a big advantage. That's a huge pro. And it's interesting because you essentially serve as your own bank. 
like you're not uh, working with a bank. I mean, you, you have to have use some service. There's this thing called Nexo that's essentially stores your crypto for you and takes it off of the exchange. So it's less like vulnerable. I'm not quite sure what that means, but that's what I was, how it was explained to me, but they're essentially, you are your own bank using this service and it extends you like uh, credit lines of credit based on how much crypto you're holding. Yeah, exactly. And there will be exit points uh, where you are required to interact with the world's extant financial system. But another advantage that this stuff has over banks is that it is instant. It's possible to buy or spend stuff wherever you are, and you don't have to necessarily have a computer to use it. You can do these kinds of transactions entirely on your phone if you wish. So that does hold real value for people who might be technologically challenged in one way or another. But of course, the big one, the big, big one is anonymity. Mm, Anonymity. It's sweet. It's the reason everybody's addicted to the internet. And it's also one of the reasons everybody hates the internet. Uh, (laughs) Anonymity means that you can have this unregulated currency that's not bound by adjustments or fluctuating political changes. Uh, It's also great for people who value their privacy online. People who are thinking, well, I don't want to hand over all my information of one sort or another just so I can get some cheddar, some digital cheddar, excuse me. And this security that anonymity provides is a benefit. But of course, like other forms of technology, like fire, it can be used by anybody. So someone sees it and they say, hey, this is a great way not to freeze in the in the wilds of Yellowstone. And then somebody else says, this is a great way to get rid of that house I hate, <laughs> fire. <laughs> and, and cryptocurrency has the same potential. Like it's no surprise that people on the dark web or various black markets would want to use cryptocurrency because you know who really values their anonymity? Criminals. I feel weird to say it that way. Uh, but this is something law enforcement and, and uh, financial regulators worry about because now you can move vast sums of money uh, in, in ways that we'll talk about. So that kind of gets us to the cons. And there are cons in addition to anonymity. Well, yeah, the first thing is I already said it in this episode. This, this stuff can be dang confusing for people like me. Uh, but, but, you know, it's just due to the fact that it seems un-understandable, incomprehensible. Just uh, I, I don't get it sometimes. But I, I think that's one of the reasons why I personally haven't taken up, you know, going into crypto at all right now, just because I don't fully understand it. And, you know, if you you meet the right person that can kind of bring you into the world, maybe, you know, you have a sensei, That'll a crypto mm-hmm. sensei. Maybe that'll that'll do the trick. Um, but it, that really does seem to be the last hurdle. Like if there was some some amazing advocate that was going around, and well, I don't know a good example of this um, was the Neil deGrasse Tyson for cryptocurrency, making it understandable for yeah. every layperson out there. Then maybe there would be wider use of this thing. An evangelizer. Mm-hmm. There are definitely folks like that, like on YouTube, but you're right. They're not like main, they're not like, you know, of that degree. And then I, you know, I'll be completely candid. I've, I've begun to dip my toe in it. And it was only because I had a friend who borderline insisted that I do it. 
like like made me feel almost as though if I didn't do it a little bit, then I'd be like missing out on something really cool. So I, I did it. Nothing insane, but like he's given me information. Because even just navigating how to get in and out and the different currencies is all very specific stuff because you have to, like, store it in a specific type of wallet just for that currency. And, you know, and just the way it works where you copy and paste these, like, really long keys to get your money from one place to another. It is a little daunting. And if you don't have someone kind of shepherding you through it, I could see how it would be not appealing at all. But, um, you know, I've been enjoying my very limited experience in it. And so far, it's, you know... It's going okay. We need a jaw rule. We need yes, someone we who can sit, do. do. sit down on uh, international news platforms and explain the basis of cryptocurrency. Uh, you know, I don't. I, I think it's a great bit. I don't care if we're overusing it. Uh, it's it's a great bit. All respect to Dave Chappelle. Another uh, another con of cryptocurrency: market fluctuation. In addition to being confusing. Right, Matt, and I, I would argue uh, that a lot of people, are, are your your faithful podcasters included, are also often confused by the existing financial system, which is designed to be confusing so that you can rip people off. Like that's <laughs> that's the purpose of it uh, in a lot yeah. of ways. All I know is I have some dollars and I have some mattresses, and if I put them together, that's the way it should be. I got into crypto mattresses, uh, but the the thing is, in addition to being uh, confusing when something is new, it can also be incredibly unpredictable. And systems don't like general unpredictability. What systems like is an inequality of information such that some people can predict things that other people cannot as a primary force of a lot of these markets. So... A lot of people, as we said, bought into uh, one coin or uh, cryptocurrency or another as an investment. And yeah, people are using these the way you use actual money. Somebody famously bought a pizza in the early days of Bitcoin and now way overpaid for it. People have used it for gambling. That's pretty cool, too. Uh, There was even a case where somebody bought a house with uh, cryptocurrency, bought a house with Bitcoin. But a lot There's of people a story are, later about buying a house. Yes, yes, there is kind of. I would say it's kind. Uh, we'll get to it. But uh, but this is the thing: most people, or a great many people, are buying this stuff to hold on to it, right? Uh, then the next, the next con would be the scams. As with every emergent technology, there are people that are going to use the inexperience, naivete, basic human trust of other people to cheat them out of stuff. And then that's compounded by the fact that you can accidentally cheat yourself out of stuff here because you can lose millions of U.S. dollars worth of value, currency, if you uh, lose the stuff you need to access this. This happened to a guy named James Howells, probably the most famous example right now. He literally accidentally threw away a physical hard drive with 7,500 bitcoins back in 2013 when he was cleaning his home. He like wrote to the local government, the authorities of the landfill where he thought it would end up and they wouldn't let him dig it out. And he is just S-O-L, which on a family show means sorely out of luck. There, There are some other pros and cons and we're getting to them, but those are the basics. 
And when we think about unpredictability, we see the biggest example that just happened. Something people hadn't predicted has already occurred. And it is this, the rise of the NFT. What does NFT stand for? Does it stand for no fun time? What does it stand for new fun time? Uh, does it stand for, wait, what are some other ones? Where's, let's just make some things up. Nascent frog tremble. Mm. Uh, <laughs> nascent frog tremble. That's great. How about uh, neo, if, neo-fascist troglodytes? Neo-fascist troglodytes. Yes. Nazi cave, cave people. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> does it... <laughs> Uh, does it stand for nearly fanny time? That's filthy Ooh. in the UK. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't stand for any of those things, but we'll we'll tell you what it does stand for and why it's got so many people fascinated after a word from our sponsor. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected, or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moon roof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. 
Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. We're back. NFT, despite all the awesome acronyms we just made up, NFT uh, is a real thing. It stands for non-fungible token. And fungible, in this case, has nothing to do with fungi. It's a weird one. I, I thought that was a made-up word. I was not aware of this in, uh, in the uh, economic parlance, but uh, it, it apparently means like one-to-one, right? Um, so a Bitcoin is fung- fungible. Uh, you can trade one for another, and you'll have the same thing. Uh, in the crypto universe, a token is a representation of a thing, um, you know, some building block in this ecosystem, right? Non-fungible means exactly what it sounds like. It means it is one thing and one thing alone. It cannot be traded for another thing because another thing like that doesn't exist, right? Uh, it can't be replaced with something else. There's no um, parity. There, there's no equivalent. Uh, so one of the first uses was a game called Crypto Kitties. Ben, you got to tell us about Crypto Kitties. I was not aware of this. Yeah, Crypto Kitties. So Crypto Kitties is interesting. It is a blockchain game. And what it allows you to do when you play it is to purchase, collect, breed, and sell cats, cats that are entirely virtual. Uh, this got so popular in 2017 that it jammed up the Ethereum network, slowing it down significantly as it reached its all-time high number of transactions. Back in 2018, when the game was also still really popular, someone bought a non-fungible token, a digital cat from the game for, get this, $172,000 US, real money. And this, what they got for that was really, I mean, yes, in technical terms, they got this long blockchain, right? But what they, what they got was an image of, uh, I'll say it, a, a quite uh, cool cartoon cat, Right. But is it $172,000 cool? How much would you pay for, the, for an image? Yeah, this is my problem. And I feel like I'm just not understanding something. <laughs> no, I think you probably likely are. <laughs> no, you're buying this image. So you own the image, but you're not, you can't make money on owning that image. It's you don't not own like the rights to the image. You own this particular assembly of these pixels in this form. Yes. In the, in that way, even though it can still be screenshotted and it can still exist as an image on an Instagram for people to look at and enjoy, but you own what the higher resolution. That's, that's okay. I'm with you, Matt. I'm what is it? What are you getting? Like, are you getting like yeah. some mega high, 4k version that you couldn't achieve with a screenshot. Cause I know people are taking these and like, you know, you can get a digital frame and you can throw one of these into these digital frames and then they have it in your house. I've, there's an art show at a local gallery called a ABV gallery um, that this local mural artist, Greg Mike owns. They're doing an NFT show. Um, and in the gallery is just a bunch of TVs, like a bunch of like vertically positioned TVs um, with these images. Many of them are, are animated. Most of them are 
I think all of them maybe are animated. Um, nah, I don't know about that. Uh, but that's definitely the popular uh, version of these. Uh, and they loop. They're like a looping animated image, like a GIF or something, but higher resolution. Yeah, so there, there are a couple of things that qualify as what I would call ownership here. I don't know that it is fair to say they meet the requirements of what constitutes ownership in the pre-NFT world. Uh, there's there's a great way to explain this. Uh, shout out to Mitchell Clark over at The Verge. Let's say you are deep in the trading card game and you have a um, a very rare or somehow unique trading card, like Pokemon. You have a, the Pikachu Illustrator. That's, that's a rare Pokemon card, from what I understand. Uh, and you trade it for a super rare, very old baseball card from like the turn of the night of the 20th century. And you've completed your trade but now you have something totally different from what you started with. Also, important note, Matt, people can sell NFTs after they purchase them. And, and okay. there's a weird system set up for it. So maybe that makes a little more sense. I, I like I like uh, Mitchell Clark's example, but there's another one I thought that I want to see what you guys think. It made a little more sense to me. Let's say, let's think about borrowing $100 versus borrowing a car. So let's say, you go to Paul Mission Control, and you're like, hey, man, can I borrow 100 bucks? And Paul, being a mensch, says, yeah, of course, you can borrow it. Just pay me back next week or whatever. So he'll expect you to pay him 100 bucks next Wednesday or Thursday or whenever, uh, but he'll just want some form of $100 back. He's not reasonably going to expect you to come back with the exact same $100 bill. And yes, peek behind the curtain, folks. Paul only uses $100 bills. It's mm -hmm. very weird to be with him at restaurants. Can confirm. Splitting Except for Applebee's, where, yeah. where he eats for free. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, so we could confirm that that's real. But let's say instead, let, well, let's say the same day you borrow 100 bucks from Paul, you go to Codename Doc Holiday and you ask to borrow her car. And because she's awesome... She lets you borrow her car and you say, okay, I'll bring it back to you, you know, next Wednesday or Thursday or whenever. But what? So you come back to Paul and Alexis and you give Paul, you know, two uh, fifties. And he's like, what are these? Cause he's only ever seen a hundred dollar bill, but he believes you cause it adds up to a hundred. But then, you know, doc is like, where's my car? And you're like, well, I brought you a car back there. Like that's a car. Then she would say, no, 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 bro. My car is my car. I gave you my car and I would like my car back. That's that's where a car would be a non-fungible token. And this bill, this $100 bill would be more like a Bitcoin. And NFTs are the crypto version of this. Like uh, they can literally be anything. That's the other thing. They can be anything right. that you can digitally depict. Totally. Like, for example, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey recently sold his first tweet, the first tweet, as an NFT for $2.9 million. So that tweet is then encrypted in this very specific encryption, and now it's an NFT. It's, yeah. So it's like it's, you attach an NFT to the asset. And that's what made, so it's not like that's not the NFT itself. It's the thing that you attach to it that then verifies a chain of custody. It's essentially like a digital authenticity report. But what the hell does that mean, though? How do you own a tweet? I could screenshot that tweet and put it in a digital frame. 
To me, it's a fetishization of ownership is what a lot of this is. That's not an unfair way to say it because, you know, my it reminds me of the story that keeps coming up when we explore these kinds of things about the emperor's new clothes, which we'll wax poetic on later. But, but you're right. So drawing, music, animation, video clip, digital art, you buy the NFT, yet you still own it, quote unquote, whatever that uh, new idea of ownership is. But other people can just right click and save it when they see it. Other people can, you know what? Other people can right click, save it. And then if they have a printer, they can print it out and they mm-hmm. can frame it themselves. And they, they own an iteration of that. Well, it's like when Martin Shkreli bought that Wu-Tang Clan album. He, he had it. He could do whatever he wanted with it. He could have lorded it over everyone like I, he pretty much did, or he could distribute it to the world. Uh, that's different. That's like a one-of-a-kind thing that he only, and he and only he has access to and has the rights to do with what he will. This is not that. So I'm very confused as well, uh, Matt, about the, the draw uh, in terms of like, why? Why spend, you know, um, $3 million on the first tweet? When, like, you can just, you know, look at it. It's this idea to me of, like, I own the first tweet, and that's cute. And it also means that the only people that are doing this for that level of of cash are people that can afford to do cute things with that kind of money. The tweet example is funny to me because in the Verge article that I just cited, the the journalist had to update their article because they originally said selling a tweet as an NFT as a joke, and then... Dorsey did it, and they had to go back in the article and say, hey, we were joking, but this guy did it. We don't know if he read the article. But people paid much more than what they paid for that tweet. Uh, One NFT was auctioned at Christie's, so congratulations to Mike Winkleman, a.k.a. Beeple, a digital artist who sold an NFT there for... Paul, can we get a drum roll, please? Yes, $69 very real dollars. And uh, yeah, it's a lot. Uh, These are by design meant to give the purchaser again, that quote unquote ownership. And it is ownership as a, as a concept, you know, it's, you could also even on the artist side, let's say I sell um, an NFT of something that I have painted, then I would still have that physical painting. I very well could. And then I could just create more NFTs of the same thing, just the same image with different blockchains attached. And now it's like I've made prints. Now you have a number three of 100 of uh, Ben Bolin quesadilla study number seven. <laughs> I love your work, Ben. I love that series. Um, but I have to ask, though, is there an inherent agreement or, or an implicit agree, or like yeah, implicit wouldn't be enough. Is there a, a, an agreement, contractual or otherwise, uh, for the artist to never make another thing like that again? In some cases, in some cases, because again, this is this has a um, doesn't have any kind of sweeping regulation, uh, and the idea is that necessarily doesn't because right, you download this thing, or you print it out and you own it, even though you never bought the NFT, you don't own it. NFT wise, but isn't possession nine tenths of the law? I mean, this caught on pretty quickly. Now we're talking about multi million dollar market. So I think the three of us have raised some really great questions at the jump here. Uh, most directly, why mess with this? Why have them? Well, it can be, it's great if you're an artist. If you're Beeple, 
of course, you can absolutely understand why people are calling this an evolution in fine art collecting. You can sell new stuff in a new way. That's dope. You can also make a lot more money off a digital thing that maybe you otherwise would have uh, sold as like a sticker or something. You know, because mm -hmm. if you look at these, a lot of these are really cute little pieces of pixel art or, or some of them. Right. And that wouldn't have been like if you saw that on an app store as a, you know, an emoji or something, would you have paid for it? Or would you have just like waited until there was a whole pack of emoji to download for 99 cents or something or wait for a next OS update where then it's just folded into it? That's that's what's happening. And to Matt, ben, Matt's ben, your, ben, no, yeah, no, no, yeah. no, 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 Ben, 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 Ben. But let's start making original stuff. They don't want you to know videos again, but exclusively as NFTs. <laughs> Come uh, on, dude. Let's make uh, let's make millions of dollars for people who just have Ethereum sitting around and they don't know what to do with it all. Let's do it. <laughs> that's a really good point. That's one I hadn't thought about. Oh, okay. Wait, we got to get back to that one. That's a very good point. Um, that's a crazy point. Well, here's another benefit for the artist, though. You can enable a feature on an NFT, the bulk of which are on Ethereum, that allows, that like pays you a kind of residual. So every time your work is sold or changes hands, you get a little cut of the deal. And that didn't happen with a lot of like uh, classic oil paintings or whatever. You know, that didn't happen uh, for Leonardo da Vinci or Picasso or, you know, any any of the masters of the craft. But it's it's a little different for buyers. I mean, it's a flex, right? Ultimately, it's it's a it's a kind of a playground of the rich. Look what I can do. I've got an NFT gallery next to my dirigible collection. And, and I don't know, in a positive way, it is a new way to support artists you like. That's cool, right? You've got you've got a artist that you think is is a really important voice in the world and you want to financially support them, then you can say, hey, I will buy your NFT. I feel like it's a creative way of donating in some in some way. And yeah, you get usage rights, but I don't think somebody would I don't think you would find somebody using an NFT that they didn't buy as or an image from an NFT that they didn't buy on their Instagram profile. I don't think you would see them getting sued. Right. They would just take it down. I, I don't know how you enforce it, you know, or why you would bother. Um, but it's just it's only unique. And that's a token on the blockchain. So it's in this weird. I know this phrase gets overused so often. It's in this weird liminal space. I'm so sorry. I like it, it. It's I true, like though. It. <laughs> it's right true. there it, in between. <laughs> it fits so many things. It is a very useful phrase. So an NFT, if we think about it, is kind of designed to be both a Mona Lisa, only one exists. There's only one real Mona Lisa and the rest are forgeries. Uh, but it's also kind of, it has the capability to be a Honda Civic. You can just, especially the artist, you could just take the same thing and then say, okay, this is a different non-fungible token. And now there are thousands. Logan Paul from uh, YouTube has made vid some video clips of his existing videos as NFTs. Mm -hmm. uh, Grimes, you know, the uh, once kind of indie uh, electro weirdo kind of outsider artist um, who became more and more popular with every record uh, and then kind of really jumped the shark by having a baby with Elon Musk. Uh, she sold $6 million worth of NFTs, um, various kind of 
uh, digital imagery kind of collages like that were uh, collaborations that she did with another artist. Uh, that's something called the War Nymph Collection. Some of it was like set to music. And a lot of this stuff, since it is so new, um, there are a few portals to getting this stuff where artists have like uh, accounts, you know, like you would on a social media platform. Uh, the most popular one, I think, is called Nifty Gateway. And that's where she sold her stuff. Ah, I see. yeah. And so the question then is, what does this mean for the future? What can NFT specifically lead to? Here we enter trickier water. Don't forget, this is the same species that went absolutely nuts and bananas for pogs, for beanie babies, for countless other crazes. Magic the Gathering. I was going to say, Matt, I thought of you because Magic the Gathering, I don't think counts as a fad or a craze anymore. It's been around too long. It's nah, here. dude. That thing's forever. It's here. And and if NFTs are just a craze, how long will they last? And if there's more to it than that, then what's the stuff they don't want you to know about NFTs? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Hey guys, Rob Parker here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like the rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with the new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a Toyota truck you buy Toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national 
national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Here's where it gets crazy. First, obviously... uh, I feel like we shouldn't even have to point this out, but it's due diligence. First, obviously, there's a very valid criticism that these massive amounts of money could be used for something better, something that helps the world. However, that is a criticism we look at every time we look at (laughs) fine art, the toys of the wealthy, the Maserati fleets, uh, everything that we like. The problem with that is. Once somebody has their own money, you cannot really tell them. And I would argue you should not really tell them what to do with it. Of course, also, I would argue that a lot of philanthropy is just a PR shell game again to, uh, to well, to screw the rest of the world. But it's true. It's true. That's a non-starter. You can't, people, surprise, don't react well when you say, hey, why did you spend $69 million dollars? on this digital thing when that could feed and house X amount of people for Y amount of years, whatever. People don't like to hear that. Uh, same, same reason Jeff Bezos doesn't like, probably doesn't like it when people are saying, here's the fraction of the money you made during the pandemic that could make a life-changing difference in the lives of, in, you know, the day-to-day lives of your employees. Uh, I do want to point something out here. Many of these transactions we're talking about were, were done in, I think it was Ethereum. That was mostly yes. the, the coin that was used for these. Ethereum is where it started. So I am, and I'm just putting this out there, and I don't even know if this fully computes, but they were rather low numbers of Ethereum that were exchanged. We're talking hundreds. I think that was the most, or at least the the one sale that was for several hundred thousand was like, uh, 200 and something Ethereum. I think we said mm. something like that. Okay. Um, imagine that you, you got into Ethereum very, very early on. And, you know, let's say you put even as much as $10,000 down when Ethereum is at the lowest possible levels, when it's just beginning, that could translate to many, 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 many Ethereum, which would essentially be a fortune that was created out of very little money. Uh, very early on, and you would have so much of it, the equivalent of what it actually is in dollars maybe doesn't matter to someone as much once that, that like, it's almost like winning the lottery really quickly. Um, I can imagine the value of it seeming very different than if it was a hard-earned million dollars that someone worked their whole life to achieve or something. I'm Absolutely. so glad you brought that up. I'm Absolutely. so glad. Because there's something that I think a lot of people can understand uh, through comparison here, right? If someone just has this Ethereum and it's kind of grown native to that financial ecosystem, never touched it because you're like a lot of other investors. You just wanted it to uh, accrue and then hit a windfall. And then maybe you would think about taking it out into another currency. 
there's something that happens when you travel to a part of the world that uses a different currency. And it's really weird. Uh, I, I don't know if there's a technical or respected name for it, but when I'm just freestyling here, I call it, it's the monopoly money effect. You know what I mean? Like you go to a place where, like you go to uh, Japan, that'll be a familiar example to a lot of people, and you take your U.S. dollar uh, amount that you have and you exchange it for yen, right? And you get these, you get these different uh, amounts of dollars. So, like, if you put in two hundred and fifty dollars, then all of a sudden you have over twenty-seven thousand yen. And even though you know that the value systems are different, psychologically, you're walking around and you're like, "This is what it feels like at the top." You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it it can take you some time. It can take you a few transactions to realize, like to get a sense in your head that, yes, in terms of cost of things, that $250 and that 27,187 yen or something are still like they have parity. But I, I know exactly what you're thinking about. It's like it's one of the reasons that a lot of people, when they're traveling to unfamiliar places, might spend a lot more than they think they're spending. Because they're just like, hey, what, what, these are all, plus other countries use coins a lot more often than the U.S. So they're like, I'm just putting pocket change in these things. You know, I don't know that this is really worth $5 or whatever. Um, it's tough. And that's even without exchange rates. So you are absolutely right. And I can see that. So we're not saying all these people are, you know, billionaires or whatever. And I, I think that's my point, too, with, with, with about like, you know, Internet spending, crypto culture gone a, a muck, run amok kind of is how I look at this in some ways because so many people made a lot of money on crypto, maybe not instantly, but it's like a lot of people that I know that made a lot of money on crypto used it to buy like, you know, synthesizers and like toys and stuff. It's not like, you know, they they were never banking on it as being their like life's blood or their life's work. It was always kind of funny money, you know, because they knew the bottom could drop out any day. I was talking to a guy uh, who, um, you know, has, has given me some advice on this stuff. And he says he lost $90,000 in one fell swoop uh, in when there was a big crypto kind of bottom fallout situation back in like 2013 or something like that. Um, and, you know, to the point where where he got out of it entirely for a while wow, and, and then got back in. But I'm just saying like, you know, I've known people in the past. I played in a band with a dude years ago who uh, had all this crazy stuff. And it's because he lived with a dude who got in early with the crypto, with the, with the, um, Bitcoin stuff and he got him into it and he just had like funny money to just blow on whatever. Like it's, it reminds me of like the kid in big, you know what I mean? Like when you like all of a sudden you got all this money, you got more than you know what to do with. You just like, buy yourself like a pleasure palace, you know? Um, it's just interesting because you're right. I think that's you're totally correct. It doesn't feel like earned. It just feels like frivolously uh, created, um, therefore can be frivolously spent. I don't know. Yeah, and a lot of people already had a sort of separate existence. You know what I mean? A lot of people already had a day job where they were doing, so they had income. You know what I mean? And this stuff just uh, kind of, kept accruing in the in the background so that makes sense but there's something else we have to talk about we've uh, teased this a little bit crime <laughs> non-fungible tokens get especially interesting when you talk about money laundering so it's no secret that criminal elements use crypto money laundering to hide the dirty origin of various funds the 
easiest way to do it. This is not financial advice. No one is telling you to do this. We cannot legally say this is roughly how you do it and get away. The most easy way to do it uh, is kind of a, th a three-stage process, which we can describe vaguely. You can purchase cryptocurrency with, like, let's say you have the your dirty cash. Call it your fiat cash, right? If you want to get a little edgy about it. Uh, you buy your cryptocurrency with your fiat cash. You got it from running guns or mass or, or stamp fraud or something. I don't know. It's just stamp fraud still my favorite crime. Uh, and now that you have this and you have it in cryptocurrency, you have to be careful because crypto-based transactions, again, overwhelmingly, uh, can be followed via the blockchain. However, once you've got this dirty, these dirty coins in play, then you can do a couple things. You can use a sort, you can use a service to make it a little more anonymous, breaking links between those Bitcoin transactions. That's possible. Uh, and then you have a legit excuse for that. You can say, well, I'm using that service because it provides even better personal privacy and security. The easiest way to wash it, which is interesting, is this. So like, let's say I've been running guns for a while, right? I had a crazy year during the pandemic. I got into a side gig and now I have a lot of money that I can't move because Uncle Sam will get after me. Then the next, the easiest way is so I put it in Bitcoin or whatever, or I put it in Dogecoin or whatever. And the easiest way for me to get around the traceability there is to take not the money I had in cash, but the money I already put in one crypto coin and then wait for an ICO, an initial coin offering. Because like we said earlier, there are tons and tons of different cryptocurrencies, different coins. And when that initial coin offering comes out, these are one of the businesses that does accept payment in cryptocurrency, aren't they? So now I just have to say, well, I'm going to get, I'm going to buy in big with Ben coins or whatever, and I'm going to pay for it all with Bitcoins. And then boom, I have shell gamed the coins and I've done so well enough that now people are not going to be able to say, hey, the origin of Ben coin is actually a crazy, crazy international trade in AR-15s and Kalashnikovs and crap like that. Boom, boom, boom. And the, the last thing you have to do is just integrate that money back into the legitimate financial system. And then you can just say, hey, like uh, the thing is, this is where the unpredictability, volatility, fluctuation of cryptocurrency comes in. Because you just wait till it gets to a really high point and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got it a while ago. And then this happened. And so now I've got, I guess I just got lucky, you know. And then I would say, not to lecture people, but I would say if you made it that far unscathed, uh, maybe you can retire from the illegal gun trade. It's not a very smart business to be in, uh, or it's not a very good business to be in. And this can get you around stuff like income from drugs, from trafficking, from weapon sales. It can help you dodge taxes, possibly. To me, the most interesting thing, I... I don't I think maybe we talked about this a little bit is how useful is this for state actors who don't want to get caught paying for someone for an illegal activity? How useful is it if you want to get around sanctions, right? To buy stuff uh, <clears throat> and to accrue funds. 
And all that stuff is important, right? Because we are talking about crime. We're talking about human lives. But there's another much bigger problem, which people are only really now starting to understand in mainstream conversation. And that's this. The crime, the legit stuff, none of this can happen if we can't maintain life on Earth in some way. One of the biggest problems with cryptocurrency and with NFTs is, in fact, the environment and in a very not cool way. That's right. Uh, It's uh, absolutely a uh, detriment to the environment. The technology, the amount of electricity, the amount of resources and infrastructure required to process just one transaction. Uh, Bitcoin in general leaves could potentially leave a carbon footprint the size of the entire uh, region of, of London. Um, and it all goes back to how these things are created. Uh, new Bitcoins are created by this idea of mining coins, which is the extra CPU intensive uh, process. Um, it, it requires like thousands and thousands of these complex calculations. The more Bitcoins there are, the longer it takes to mine new coins and the more actual electricity it takes. That, that blew my mind when I first understood that. But when you really start digging in, you realize, no, this is this is very, very much a real thing. Yeah, there's there's some fascinating and not super uh, <laughs> uh, not not super happy research into this. There's a Dutch economist named Alex de Vries de Vry, who found that the energy use here is growing at this breakneck pace because it takes longer to mine, you know, one Bitcoin to complete the the math. There uh, now the energy use. He, he estimated by 2017, the energy use was already 30 terawatt hours a year. So that's the, and that's where he gets that London number from. Because he said back in 2017, 30 terawatts a year was the same amount of energy used for the entirety of Ireland. You'll see another report where you could see that Cambridge University studies found Bitcoin uses more electricity than the entirety of Argentina as far as uh, February 2021. So it's accelerating is the issue. We're, we're feeding more and more into the machine, and that is creating more and more pollution because most of the world's energy comes from fossil fuels, right? So it's something we don't really think about. But it's it's absolutely true, and something um, Noel, you and uh, you and I, I think, had talked a little bit about this off air when you were kind of getting into Bitcoin, right? Yeah, well, it's not something I even fully realized right when I started, and and, and again, I'm not like deep into it by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, it's true. I mean, th- there's look, there's definitely like Bitcoin apologists for lack of a better way of, of describing them, that will say, okay, there's a conflation going on. People are saying, you know, one Bitcoin transaction consumes as much energy as your house uses in a week. And in this blog, uh, Three Myths About Bitcoin's Energy, energy Consumption uh, from Satoshi Labs, um, they point out that, you know, it's electricity that it consumes, not energy writ large. So it's like I use as a consumer electricity, gas and gasoline, um, Bitcoin transactions only use electricity. But that's it's honestly like I don't I only bring that up just to show both sides. But yeah, it's true. I mean, it is fair to say that a uh, one single crypto or Bitcoin transaction in 2020 was 741 kilowatt hours. 
which was more compared to the cumulative 100,000 visa transactions with only one energy consumption of 149 kilowatt hours. Yeah, so there is there is a real issue here. And the thing about this is it's it's an issue that's tough to mitigate in many ways because the way the system is built demands that increased consumption. Ethereum, who, as we mentioned earlier, is the kind of the big daddy of NFT, uses a process called proof of work to validate their transactions, to say like, yes, this is the actual thing happening and it is legitimate. Uh, But in response to the growing criticism about energy consumption and environmental damage, they've been moving to a less intensive process called proof of stake. And this proof of stake process is going to, uh, according to them, take up less than 1% of the energy that's currently being consumed. So that's, I mean, that's good news, I guess, but it's something uh, a lot of people haven't thought about. I I didn't really think about it. You know, you have to get it. It gives you a sense of just how gargantuan the infrastructure is now to create these coins. But there is one other philosophical quandary here, and it's one that does not have an easy answer, and it's this. We talked about at the very beginning. What, what is value? What, e- what is currency, economy, religion? There's this fantastic fairy's tale that I guess it qualifies as a fairy. It doesn't really have fairies in it, but there's this story that's very popular in the West or was back in the day called The Emperor's New Clothes. We all remember it. Back in the, the story goes, once upon a time, there was an emperor who had everything and he was a super fancy dude and he had all this super fancy exclusive stuff and he was very jaded because he had bought everything you could buy. He had the finest clothes, the finest caviar and cheese wheels and NFTs hanging up in his uh, boudoir and he wanted something that no one else could have and so a tailor from far away an unknown an unknown man came to him and said i will create for you the finest suit of clothes right uh, the, look at this this uh, this silk is so fine that only the most refined eye could see it can you surely emperor you can be the type of dude to appreciate this type of stuff. And then the emperor was just, what did the emperor do? Oh my God, yes, it's gorgeous. And feel this finery, it's so soft. It's like, it's like velvet, but like, you know, magical uh, angel velvet. Give me uh, all the bolts. That's what fabric, invisible fabric comes in. Uh, and then, you know, he, he gets, he makes him these outfits that he then wears in a parade and it, he's just got his junk all hanging out. He's just, he's out there. And that's, it's the perfect, it's a, parable. Let's call it a parable, perhaps, because it's meant to teach a lesson, right? And the lesson is be grateful for the things you have uh, and don't focus all of your energy on things because that's not going to make you happy. Uh, And at the end of the day, you know, it's like more money, more problems. If you get to a point where you just keep wanting the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, you're never going to actually be happy because you're just building your um, image of successful life and of happiness on stuff. And it's the oldest cliche in the book, but you can't take it with you. Um, and I feel like this is a product of that. I think you're spot on, Ben. This this phenomenon is a product of that malaise that I think overly wealthy people have where they want to 
have a thing that no one else can have or get in on early on the cool thing or, but you know, the twist of that story is, I mean, I said he was, he had his junk hanging out and all that, but I mean, that's because what? Well, my, my son, it's because there are no clothes. Exactly. Uh, that's, that's me talking to my son, reading mm-hmm. the emperor's new clothes to him. <laughs> um, there you go. Bingo. Um, so the, the, the big thing here also is that the value is based on really nothing besides the fact that it's difficult to make these things. They are trackable and you can make more of them and they're clean and they're somewhat anonymous. So like the value is in what they are somewhat, even though they're not really there, they're digital things. But I think something that's really important here is that because it is based on, based on belief, people who have been heavily invested in something like Bitcoin or Ethereum them getting others to believe in the same way as our salesman to the emperor, getting them to believe that the Bitcoin is real and very, very valuable is highly profitable to them because their investment goes higher and higher with every new person that says, yes, I see the clothes too. They, they're amazing. Um, so when I'm thinking about um, specifically calling out some billionaires and multi, multi, multi millionaires out there who are going on Twitter and other places talking up Bitcoin and Ethereum and all the other ones out there saying how great they are and how you should get invested. I'm imagining all of us people on our level, like, you know, investing your hard earned money in something like this. And then really we're filling the coffers of billionaires who just went in on a whim uh, to invest in their, their Bitcoin. Uh, It's just happening with wall street bets. When we saw people drop it in the thread to say, you know, what the next GameStop is going to be. Should invest in that. You're well, right. Yeah. Well, case in point, uh, our you know our buddy John McAfee of of, of the antivirus fame. Um, he was just indicted for altcoin pump and dump scams, where essentially he was big upping these altcoins on his Twitter as a person who's supposedly an expert and saying, and people would ask him, "Well, are you invested in this?" And he would say, "No, my son." I am not. Uh, and of course he was. And then he would pump it based on the exposure it would get from his uh, tweets. And then he'd dump it and make the money and then r- rinse and repeat. So he is, he is actually facing up to 80 years in prison. Uh, he's 75 years old. Can't believe that that's what it took for this guy to finally have to answer for some of his uh, uh, misdeeds that we, we know about. You know, didn't he like practically stage a coup? in a third world country or something, Ben, I can't remember exactly what the deal was, but dude's easily a, a, a mavericky nut job. Um, <laughs> he's lived a life. He's lived a life, but he is also clearly, if he is convicted, which doesn't sound like he has been yet, uh, he's clearly doing exactly, uh, he's clearly tackling the same conundrum uh, that you were talking about there, Matt, which is Bitcoin is barely used as a real world currency. It's, it's bought again as an investment. So that means that its value, whatever its value may be, is solely found in the fact that other people value it. And so when you ask how much something is worth in the world of art, you're really asking, because art is subjective, you're really asking about other people's opinions in the future. And then when you remove the physical object there, it becomes increasingly intangible then this question becomes more and more important and even more difficult to answer. No one, no one does have an answer yet. And I, I think we're, I think we're endeavoring to be very fair about this. You know, you want to support your favorite artists, then by all means, do you want to spend 
your money on what you want to spend it on, then, I mean, by all means, as long as you're not hurting somebody, it's pretty much up to you, right? That's not a crazy take. I completely agree. And if I could, I would just love to return briefly to that $69 million NFT auction at Christie's by uh, the artist Beeple, who I think is cool. I like his art. I followed him on Instagram for for many years now. Uh, But the piece that he auctioned off was called the first 5,000 days, uh, every day is the first 5,000 days. And if you look at it like big or like, you know, zoomed out it it just looks like a like a mosaic with all these tiny little squares all the tiny little squares are five thousand of his artworks that he has published in digital form on his instagram over the years and i recognize many of them uh now to to be completely uh, transparent there are some eagle-eyed folks that have uh, searched through some of those images and found some kind of racist and problematic images in there so i'm having to reassess my feelings about people, but your feelings about his art and his politics aside, he was paid uh, his cut, $53 million uh, of that $69.3 million sale in Ethereum. Guess what he did? He converted it to U.S. dollars instantly and and <laughs> and, uh, and said uh, he did so because he goes, boom, $53 million in my account. Like, what the f***? Uh, I'm not remotely a crypto purist. I was making digital art long before any of this sh- And if this NFT stuff went away tomorrow, I would still be making digital art today. Um, He says, then goes on to say, I absolutely think it's a bubble, to be quite honest. There was a bubble and the bubble burst and it wiped out a lot of crap, but it didn't wipe out the Internet. And so the technology itself is strong enough where I think it's going to outlive that. Um, says the man with $53 million in his bank account. Uh, If the bubble bubble burst, it burst with him, uh, I would say. But clearly not. Well, you know, there's uh, there's another thing I'm sure a lot of our full listeners were waiting for us to mention. Banksy, or people claiming to be Banksy, uh, sold a NFT just earlier this month after the original was physically burned in Brooklyn. This is the uh, first for the art industry. The piece was, by the way, you got to love this. Uh, you got to love this Banksy approach. The piece was called Morons. It pokes fun at art collectors. Uh, It had been burned by a team of crypto enthusiasts at, quote, a discreet location in Brooklyn. Uh, They sold this NFT of this thing that no longer physically exists for $38,000. So what were those folks buying exactly? Were they buying something unique that only they could appreciate? Or were they buying the emperor's new clothes? I think that's. I think it's a fair question. It, it is, and it reminds me of another Banksy stunt uh, where he had a piece in a frame of like I think a little girl with a balloon or something like that, um, and uh, he, he posted a video that was either him or I think Banksy's a, a group of people. Um, but he posted a video, or they posted a video uh, from the audience in the auction, uh, and right as it was auctioned off with the final, um, you know call of the auctioneer uh the frame shredded the piece uh before everyone's eyes and guess what that made it more valuable because <laughs> it stopped halfway and so now it's like so that's like literally because the destruction of the art made the art more valuable uh because it was now banksy's hands were on it and it's this like custom shredder frame so it's all so ephemeral 
and I think it's no, um, I think it's no accident that that one of the most popular cryptocurrencies and the one used for these is called Ethereum because it's all just kind of in the ether, you know. And uh, and of course, uh, to the collective known as Banksy, as I think it's a group of people too. Uh, thank you so much for hoisting the world of fine art on the petard it deserves. Yes. So, uh, so massively appreciated. Thanks as always to everybody tuning into the show. There is some stuff they don't want you to know about cryptocurrency. And there are some questions that have to be asked about NFTs. Uh, we can't wait to hear from you. Are you an artist who has been creating NFTs? Are you someone who has purchased one? What's your opinion on cryptocurrency? Let us know. We cannot wait to hear from you. You may end up uh, hanging out with us on air via listener mail. Uh, we try to make it easy to find us in a number of ways online. That's right. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook where we are Conspiracy Stuff. On Instagram, we are Conspiracy Stuff Show. If you don't want to do that stuff, hey, check it out. You can go to Here's Where It Gets Crazy, our page on Facebook. That's where you can meet other conspiracy realists just like you. You can have conversations. You can make your own posts. You can do whatever you want. Well, Within reason, there are some rules. You can find them in there after you join. All you have to do to sign up is name one of the hosts or super producers that works on this show. It's that easy. Or make a dumb joke. Or that. Exactly. Yeah, there's definitely alternatives. We seem to know that you're a real human person who is aware of what the show is, uh, and then you're in. And you can have wonderful conversations, trade memes, article links, uh, just, you know, kind words, the spirited debate with your fellow conspiracy realists. If you don't want to do that, you can give us a call at one eight three three stdwytk Three minutes is the amount of time you will have to leave a message of your choosing. Let us know if it's okay to use it on one of our weekly listener mail episodes, and please let us know what to call you so we don't out you if you're like a whistleblower or something, right? And also youtube.com slash conspiracy stuff. Hey, if you don't want to do any of that stuff, send us a good old-fashioned email where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human-moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex
National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.